Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning knowing that you will speak to us from your word. Father, we ask for the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit to rest upon this place and take your word and apply it in our lives where it needs to be. Father, we want to be more like you. And we pray that you would help us as we seek to live godly lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is Peter. Oftentimes, Peter is used as a bit of a whipping post. But he was a very interesting character, as many of you already know. And as I think of Peter in my mind, I oftentimes visualize him as a big, strong, burly man who wasn't really afraid of much. After all, he was a fisherman who spent his livelihood, his life, fishing on the lakes surrounding the area where he lived, oftentimes caught in storms in the middle of the night. He had faced a lot of fear, and that's the, the mental image that I get of Peter in my mind. But as I survey the Bible just prior to Peter's conversion, we actually find that there were areas in Peter's life where he was a weak man. And as burly and confident as Peter appeared to be many times, as I've mentioned, when alone, he was a weak man. We find him in Matthew chapter 26, just in passing here. In the stillness of the evening, as Jesus and the disciples had gathered together on the Mount of Olives, Jesus is telling Peter about this soon crucifixion that's going to take place. He's telling all of the disciples about it. And Peter says in verse 35, though I should die with, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Very courageous statement that Peter makes. Luke records it in a different way, Luke 22 and verse 33. Luke says of Peter, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. He was a very courageous man, and I believe that Peter meant those words. He loved Jesus tremendously. He loved the truths that Jesus presented. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And as much as it hurt Peter's heart to think about Jesus being crucified on the cross, I believe that he meant those very words that he spoke. However, as we continue looking at the story that you are well familiar with, we find that just a few hours later as Jesus is being hauled off to Caiaphas' palace for his first trial... The Bible tells us that Peter followed Jesus a far way off, ashamed at his Lord being drug away as a common criminal. As we continue looking at the story, Peter, as you know, not only does he deny his Lord three times, but Ellen White makes an interesting statement. John, John and Peter were really the only two that followed Jesus uh, as he went from place to place. And the, she tells us that John, and the Bible tells us this, that John went into 
the courtroom with Jesus as he stood before Caiaphas. However, Peter, as you know, he was on the outside with the promiscuous crowd trying to blend in as one who did not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. It's very interesting to me that as we look at Peter's courageous statements, when he was all of a sudden in a situation where he stood alone, Peter became a very weak man. We can tend to be very courageous when we are with those who think the same way we do. But the question is, how do we react when everyone else around us is thinking one way and we're kind of the island in that thought? We're standing out in a sense. How do we react in those kinds of circumstances. Where do we find the courage to stand up against the pressures of the time? I believe what Peter needed and what he eventually got when he was finally converted in the book of Acts. And what we need today is courage to stand for what's right. Not just any old courage, but moral courage to stand for the truth. Not the courage of the soldier on the battlefield, as courageous as that is. Not the courage of the athlete who presses himself to achieve some athletic goal, as noble as that may be. But this is a courage that stands against the pressures of the time that we are living in today. The proverbial salmon that is swimming against the current. To illustrate this, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 22. Moral courage is one of those things that is hard to define. It is easier if it is illustrated. 1 Kings chapter 22, and as you are turning there, we find here recorded a story about an Old Testament prophet that we do not read very much about because the Bible actually doesn't say a whole lot about this prophet. We find him mentioned here in 1 Kings 22, and that's pretty much it. He's not one of the famous prophets of the Old Testament like Elijah and Moses and so on, but he was a very courageous man that I believe we can learn something from in our time together this morning. He was from the city of Samaria, most likely of the tribe of Ephraim. His name was Micaiah, which means who is like God. He came at a time in the atmosphere of God's, around God's people, uh, in the kingdom, a time of cold, dark wickedness. The king at the time, perhaps the most famous of the wicked kings, was King Ahab that Micaiah was eventually going to address himself to. The showdown at Mount Carmel had already taken place. Uh, Ahab had uh, revealed where his loyalties laid, and now Micaiah is going to be summoned to stand before this wicked king and declare the word of the Lord. Scripture tells us in 1 Kings 22 and beginning in verse 1 that Israel had been in a time of peace. In fact, three years of peace had gone by, and, and, and Ahab was not a man of peace. 
He liked to be engaged in war. And so he decided that he was going to start a battle. And the city that he decided to to attack was the city of Ramoth-Gilead. For various reasons, Ahab decided that this was going to be in his crosshairs, but he did not want to go at this battle on his own. He wanted to bring somebody along with him, somebody who was a skilled general in fighting. His name was Jehoshaphat. He was also a king as well, and he was a relation of Ahab through marriage. The Bible tells us this in verse 4 as Ahab addresses Jehoshaphat. The Bible says, And he, Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. Now, you might find it interesting that Jehoshaphat was actually a pretty good guy. He brought revival among his people. He brought them closer to the Lord. Uh, He was actually a good king. And here we find him making an alliance with the most wicked king, perhaps, of that time, uh, wicked king Ahab. Now, as soon as these words come out of his mouth, it's interesting what he says next in verse 5. It's almost like he realizes that perhaps he made a mistake. The Bible says this in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read that story, I think to myself, it probably would have been better if he said that first. Right? Are you all with me? Like, let's, let's see what the Lord has to say about this battle first, and then I'll let you know whether or not I'll commit my resources to back this up. But it's interesting, you know, sometimes this happens to us as God's people. We commit ourselves to something, and then later on we realize, whoops, maybe we should have asked the Lord first if that was okay for us to do. Um, And it's always good for us to seek the Lord's will in our lives before we commit ourselves. As we mentioned in our last study together, when we looked at Matthew 6 and verse 33, about seeking God's kingdom first. So um, Jehoshaphat asks, let's inquire of the Lord and see what his will is. So in, um, in response to his request, Ahab calls together 400 prophets to ask them what they should do. Notice what the Bible says in verse 6. It says, And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall, we for- or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. 400 prophets all unanimously tell King Ahab, Go, the Lord will give you the city as you go into battle. Now, I don't know about you. If I were Jehoshaphat, I might be tempted to say, well, maybe we should go ahead and do this. But as I mentioned, Jehoshaphat was a spiritual man, and he was a man of discernment, and he knew his man. He knew Ahab. He knew what Ahab was like. He knew his character. And it's interesting what he says in the very next verse Uh, to Ahab. In verse 7, it says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the... (laughs) Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? What is Jehoshaphat basically saying about those 400 prophets? 
He's basically saying they're not prophets of the Lord. Can you imagine this? I mean, so, so here's 400 men. I mean, this is a large group of people. It's not just the, 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 the congregation. These are 400 religious leaders. These are prophets that Ahab has specifically chosen to come into the religious circle. And now they're brought, and they all unanimously say, go off into battle. And Jehoshaphat says, hang on a second. Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire Verse 8, listen to what Ahab says. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But what does he say? But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Interesting. Out of all of the religious men in the city, Ahab realized that there was one man of God, and that one man of God, he said that he what? hated. Why did he hate him? Because he did not prophesy good. Why did he like his 400 prophets? Because they itched his ears, right? They told him exactly what he wanted to hear. They told him what he, you know, they told him, go and do what you want to do. The Lord will be with you. But there was one man in the city who realized that Ahab was a wicked man, and he needed to hear the word of the Lord. And this one wicked king hated this one righteous man of God. This is what I find as I read that verse. Moral courage does not usually show up in a large crowd. But it shows up one Righteous man, one righteous woman at a time. And according to the story, it appears like they usually don't win the popularity contest either. As we're going to find out here in a few moments. But men and women of moral courage, spiritual moral courage, they have their eyes on a better goal than earthly gain. They're looking forward to a heavenly kingdom. Faithfulness to God is absolute in their lives. Ahab needed Jehoshaphat to go with him into battle. As I mentioned, he was a skilled general, and he didn't want to go into this war alone. And so he obliged Jehoshaphat's request for this one godly prophet of the Lord to come and speak. And so there's a messenger that's sent off to go find Micaiah, to go to his house. And while this messenger is on his way, Jehoshaphat is sitting on his throne. Ahab is sitting on his throne. And they're in their splendid royal regalia. The prophets of Ahab are around them, 
prophesying and telling them how successful they will be in battle. It is quite the religious ceremony that is taking place on the borders of the city. And so this messenger of of Ahab is going around the city trying to find this man of God, this prophet of the Lord. And he finds Micaiah in his home and he beckons him to come and tell the king what the word of the Lord was. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what the messenger says in verse 13. As he's speaking to Micaiah, he says this, And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophet declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy words, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. Now, I don't know, I don't know where this, this messenger was coming from, but I would like to think well of him. That, you know, the Bible says we should think well of people. And, 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 and I would like to think well that maybe he was doing this in Micaiah's best interest. He also knew Ahab, and he knew that people who went against Ahab usually lost their lives, their life. And so perhaps he was telling Micaiah, go with the flow so that you will preserve your life. He was basically saying, listen, you're already on Ahab's uh, hate list. Don't get on his hit list. Do what everybody else is doing. Go along with the religious establishment. Say what everybody else is saying to the king. Micaiah makes a statement of moral courage in verse 14. He says to the messenger, and Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, that which the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. That is moral courage. When all the world is going one way, moral courage says whatever God wants, that's what I will do. When the pressures of society are pushing us in one direction, moral courage says what the Lord says. That's what I will speak. And not only is that what I will speak, but it is also what I will do. Moral courage checks in with what God wants before it checks in with what man wants. And what God wants trumps what any human being may desire. That is moral courage. Moral courage is doing something because you know it is right, even if you don't want to do it. What the Lord said unto me, that I will speak. There were a lot of pressures on Micaiah to go along with the flow. There were political pressures to say just the right thing. Make the king happy. We don't like it when Ahab gets upset. So just do what it's going to take to make 
Ahab and Jehoshaphat had. There were political pressures on him. There were religious pressures on him. As I mentioned, the whole religious establishment was saying, go this way and the Lord will bless you. He was going to be the one odd man out, if you will, religious man out, who is going to be the sore thumb, if you will. There were pressures on him to preserve his own life. So there's a lot of pressure on this man. As he's sitting there in his home with the invitation to come, all of these pressures, I believe, were beginning to weigh upon him. The same devil that tempts you to compromise was there in Micaiah's home tempting him to compromise, tempting him to go along with the flow, tempting him to take the path of least resistance and to do what everybody else was doing. But he said, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Now, as you know, words are cheap. You can say what you want. But the question is, are you going to do what you say? And of course, this is a courageous statement that Micaiah makes. But not only is it a courageous statement, but he actually does what he says he's going to do. And unfortunately, it doesn't end well for him. Verse 15, the Bible says this. So he came to the king, that is Micaiah. And the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear, not go? And he, that is Micaiah, answered him, go. Go and prosper. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Wait a second here. Isn't that what the rest of the prophets said? Yeah. If you compare what the 400 prophets said with what Micaiah just said, there's only two words that are different. It's basically verbatim what the other prophets said. So hang on a second here. How could this quote-unquote man of God who said, what the Lord saith unto me, that's what I will say. How can he say this? Well, it's obvious as you continue reading the story that Ahab knew that Micaiah was being sarcastic. That he was kind of baiting Ahab along in that statement. There are, there's probably some body language in verse 15 that we don't get in the black and white reading of the text. And so the Bible says this in verse 16. It says, and the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? Can you picture Ahab standing up out of his throne with all of his robes on and, and the spit coming out of his mouth as he's yelling at Micaiah, tell me the truth. <laughs> Micaiah's like, well, if it's the truth you want, I have a word from the Lord for you. Verse 17, and he said, that is, Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Apparently, the Lord showed Micaiah a vision. And in this vision, he saw the people of God scattered like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then the Lord said to Micaiah that the leader would be killed. And so he tells Ahab exactly what he does not want to hear. If you go into battle, you are going to die. Is he alone in the crowd? 400 prophets say go. One prophet says, if you want to know really what the Lord says, if you go, you're going to die. Ahab is irate. He stands up again and he tells Jehoshaphat, didn't I already tell you that this man does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Flies into a fit of rage as he accuses the prophet of always prophesying evil. You know, it's hard to prophesy good when you're talking to an evil person all the time. But you know, the interesting thing to me is this. What needed to change was not the message or the messenger, but it was the one who was receiving the message that needed to change. And I kind of look at Micaiah as a type of Seventh-day Adventist, if you will, Christian, who wants to stand for what's right in the midst of a compromising world. And as he stands for what's right, Micaiah realizes that there's nothing wrong with the message that God has given him. There's nothing wrong with the message God has given to us. Amen? The message doesn't need to change to fit the world. The world needs to change to fit the message. And Micaiah realized that, and he was willing to stand up for the truth because there was nothing wrong with the message that came from the Lord. Now, here's something interesting. I don't want you to miss this. Micaiah did not come and speak to Ahab until Ahab asked him to come and speak to him. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to cram the truth down somebody's throat, like, you know, some sort of, you know, truth stake. You know, we, we grab them around their neck and we start, you know, having to tell them all these different things. But it's interesting that, you know, even though all of the religious people were invited to come and speak to King Ahab, Micaiah kind of stood back and he waited until the king invited him to talk to him. And I think we might actually find a little bit more success in our attempts to share the truth with other people if we waited for them to ask even though in the end Ahab did not take the advice of the man of God. Well, what happens is this. <clears throat> After Ahab flies into this fit of rage, he commands to take Micaiah and put him into prison. He says, feed him with the bread of affliction and give him the water of affliction as well until I come back from battle. And as they're hauling Micaiah off to prison... You can hear his voice as he shouts back to King Ahab, if you come back from battle, I am not a man of God. This guy had some moral courage. So they throw him and they put him in prison. And we never hear another word about Micaiah. That's the end of his story. It ends right there. We have this fairy tale view sometimes in our minds that if we have the moral courage to stand for what's right, that everything's going to be okay. 
sometimes that's the case. Sometimes God protects us and sometimes God uses it to aid us. But sometimes it ends up with what we might think from our perspective as a bad ending to the story. Micaiah is put in prison. He most likely dies in prison. We don't know. We'll have to wait to heaven and ask him to tell us the rest of the story. But that was the price that Micaiah was willing to pay to be a man of moral courage. And I believe that this is what it's going to take for God's people as we live in an earth in a time where we are amongst people of, that are compromising, that are pushing morality in all kinds of directions. It is going to take a people of God who are willing to stand for the right, not just for the sake of being peculiar, but because it's the word of the Lord. <clears throat> well, Micaiah goes off to prison. Ahab decides to follow the advice of his other 400 prophets, goes into battle. And in verses 35 and 36, you can read the rest of the story on your own if you choose to. Micaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. And the Bible tells us that as Ahab is in battle, in the middle of the war, that there is somebody on the other side who by chance, we know it's by providence, drew an arrow and shot it into the air. And that arrow was directed by the almighty hand of God as it found a chink in the armor of, of Ahab. It went into his side between the ribs in his armor and pierced him in the side and the royal blood of Ahab fell onto the floor of his chariot. The men who saw what happened tried to prop him up in the chariot to keep morale up with the other men, but it was to no avail. He slumped down to his death. You have a man of moral courage on one hand, and a man who had no morality on the other hand. By God's grace, we will be men and women of moral courage. Would you say amen? But what is it that brings moral courage into our lives? Where does this stuff come from? Is it just something that happens when we're baptized or when we have communion or uh, when we become a member of the church? Where does this type of courage come from? Where does the moral courage come from to go to church on a regular basis and to be at Sabbath school on time each Sabbath? Where does the moral courage come from to be actively involved in what's going on in the church when many people are sitting on the sideline instead of getting involved? Where does moral courage come from to pay a faithful tithe and offering to the Lord when finances might be a little bit tight? Where does the moral courage come from to take control of our lives and to take good care of the bodies that God has given to us? Where does this type of moral courage come from? Where does the courage come from to stand up for what's right when family and friends around us are compromising, maybe even church family? Where does moral courage come from when we're alone in our home 
And the devil comes and tempts us with the temptation to do what is wrong. Where does the moral courage come from to stand up and do what is right? I believe the moral courage comes from every morning acknowledging who is the master in my life. And as the 400 prophets of Ahab asked themselves that question that morning, the answer was, Ahab is my master and Jehoshaphat. And so because they made that decision, the natural result was, whoever my master is, I'm going to please them. I'm going to say what's going to make them happy. I'm going to do what makes them happy. I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. I'm going to say what they ask me to say. But for Micaiah, on the other hand, as he woke up morning by morning, he acknowledged one authority in his life and one authority only, and that was the Lord. What the Lord says unto me, that, Micaiah says, I will speak. Micaiah's moral courage arose out of a relationship with God, a relationship that was so deep that he wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of that relationship, not even life itself. If it meant that he had to be hauled off the prison to maintain his moral integrity and his relationship with the Lord, so be it. The relationship that, 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 that Micaiah had with God was paramount in his life. And from that was born the moral courage to stand for what was right. It's tough to do today because we live in such a compromising world. But I believe it's possible. And here's a promise for us. From Signs of the Time, March 5th of 1896, beautiful little promise. It says this. All the pity, compassion, and love which have been manifested in the earth have emanated from the throne of God and compared to the love that dwells in his heart are as a fountain to the ocean. And then she says this. His love is perpetually flowing forth to make the weak strong, to make the faint-hearted firm, and listen to this, and to give moral courage to the wavering. Somebody ought to say amen to that. His love is constantly flowing down to this earth to give you the moral courage, to give you the strength to be the modern-day Micaiah, if you will, to stand for what's right. Moral courage does not come from a half-hearted relationship with God. It comes from a deep, daily walk with him. As we looked in our last presentation about seeking first the kingdom of God, those are the people that have moral courage to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be. In closing, I share with you a little piece of advice here. It says this, Review and Herald, April 21 of 1910. We need now, as never before, that calm, steady faith, that undaunted moral courage. What do we need today? Undaunted moral courage. She says this, which can only be gained from communion with Christ and his word to brace us for the trial and strengthen us for duty. 
It takes moral courage to wake up in the morning and make God first in your life. It takes moral courage to say, not my will, but thine be done. And we're told the way that we develop that moral courage is by meeting with him morning by morning in our daily devotional time. It sets the course for our lives. There we choose who the master is in our lives. And as we choose God to be the supreme authority in our lives, that sets the course for the rest of the day. As the Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Micaiah chose God. And as a result, he became a man of moral courage, but it had a high price tag on it. But I don't know about you, brothers and sisters. I don't care what the price tag might be here because the reward that we will be gaining is beyond belief. As we look through this series on godly living, my prayer this morning is that God would help each one of us to be men and women of moral courage, to be the modern-day Micaiahs, to be the modern-day John the Baptists and Jesus, to follow their example, to be the ones who are willing to go against the flow, not for the sake of going against the flow, but because we want to do what is pleasing in our Lord and Savior's eyes. How many of you want to do that? May God bless each one of you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for great men of God, great women of God in the Bible who give us wonderful examples that we can follow. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to do what is right, even if it is something, Lord, that we may not want to do. That we would be willing to stand with you on your side, like Micaiah, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Father, one day we want to hear from heaven the voice of God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We long to be with you, Lord, in the kingdom of heaven. But until that time, I pray that you would keep us faithful to you in the big things and in the little things in our lives. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer. Thank you for guiding us in this path this next week. We pray it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.